is a rolling ball. Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Carrie Shale. But she's our guest, poet and playwright, Caroline Bird. We came to the pyramids all embedded in ice. He said, there's a body I'm trying to find. If I carry it out, it'll bring a good price. Twas then that I knew what he had on his mind. The wind, it was howling and the snow was outrageous. We chopped through the night and we chopped through the dawn. When he died, I was hoping that it wasn't contagious, but I made up my mind that I had to go on. I broke into the tomb, but the casket was empty. There was no jewels, no nothing. I felt I'd been had. When I saw that my partner was just being friendly, when I took up his offer, I must have been mad. I picked up his body and I dragged him inside, threw him down in the hole and I put back the cover. I said a quick prayer, then I felt satisfied. Then I rode back to find Isis, just to tell her I love her. She was there in the meadow where the creek used to rise, blinded by sleep and in need of a bed. I came in from the east with the sun in my eyes. I cursed her one time, then I rode on ahead. She said, where you been? I said, no place special. She said, you look different. I said, well, I guess. She said, you've been gone. I said, that's only natural. She said, you gonna stay? I said, if you want me to, yes. God, there's so much in there, Caroline. So why why did you okay, grace us with that? So yeah. obviously I couldn't read the whole song, but she the song begins with, I married Isis on the 5th day of May. But then by the end of the stanza, he cuts off all his hair and he rides away to a wild, <laughs> unknown country, right? He hitches up his pony to a post, meets a stranger who says, do you want to go to the canyon and get some turquoise and diamonds? He's like, sure. And then they get to these pyramids. The snow's outrageous. They're digging. The casket's empty. It was all a lie. The man dies. He buries him. And then he goes back to his wife, who's just abandoned... <laughs> after not even a month of marriage, right? He doesn't tell her... And also, there's this hugely romantic setup of, I rode in from the east with the sun in my eyes, and then the line, I cursed her one time, and I rode on ahead. And where you been? No place special. You look different, I guess. You've been gone. That's only, this, this, this is my favourite bit, actually, the dialogue. Mm. That's only natural. She said, you're going to stay... I said, if you want me to, yes. And when you hear the song, the way he sings yes, he doesn't sing it cynically. He sings it like, if you want me to, yes, like proper joy. What I love, often with songs, people think people are singing their subtext, right? They're singing their truth, what's really going on in their hearts. Mm. What I love about Bob Dylan is he lies to himself, Right? And that's in the song, too. The songs are full of denial. Like, like if you think about that bit from um, oh God, Just Like a Woman, when he says, it was raining at first, I was dying there of thirst, so I came in here. But what's worse is this pain in here. I can't stay in here. <laughs> it's clear that I can't fit. It's time for us to quit. I'm paraphrasing. You know, but he, he runs away. Right. And, and there's that sense that whenever the emotion gets too real, he runs. And we could talk a lot about women, Bob Dylan and women. But there's a similar thing. Like if you hear the song, you know, Coyote by Joni Mitchell, mm. which I love, you know, yeah. when she talks about you've got your ranch and I'm up all night in the studio. But, you know, I'm a prisoner 
of the white lines on the freeway. And there's there's that similar kind of tension, that, that idea that you fall in love, but somehow if you stay, you're going to like lose your art, which is kind of a myth, but it's a myth that really terrifies artistic people so much that they sabotage things. And so much about, you know, Bob Dylan's songs are are sabotaging. He's saying, oh, you know, we never did that much talking anyway. Well, I mean, you could have talked to her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then he's like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm on a dark side of the road. Like, you'll never understand me. And yeah, maybe it wasn't the right person, but also constantly you, in the songs, you, you hear him choosing the dark side of the road. Mm. Like, we got married and it was this mystical time in the drizzling rain what drives me to you is what drives me insane right and then he runs off to the canyon on this complete fool's mission to find some turquoise that he obviously doesn't really even want <laughs> and that's that's what i also like love about uh, my favorite poetry like james tate for example who writes a lot of prose poetry often the speaker of the poem doesn't come across as a very like nice person like he's not trying to come across like really morally right i mean there's this hilarious poem where he goes goes to this party and it's all full of these lovely people and then eventually they tell him that he's the human sacrifice because he's led the most worthless life out of all of them and he's broken every person he's ever met and he's kind of like well you know fair enough i mean thanks thanks for inviting me i i accept that and there's a lot of a similar feeling in, in, in Bob Dylan. I mean, even in the Senor mm -hmm. song, mm -hmm. where he's talking about how much that the woman who said, forget me not, and that he misses, and yet is off on this voyage. You know, where are we going? Are we going to Armageddon? You know, I feel like we've been on this road before. And that's that thing, like he's always running. And it's something that I I relate to, that I write about a lot. And, and even when... You know, even though the songs where you go, this really feels like a proper love song, like the, um, was it called the, the Hands of Harlem? Spanish Harlem. Spanish Harlem. Yeah. Like in that, right? Let me know, babe, if you surround me, if it's you, my lifelines trace. That sounds so romantic, right? And then he goes, I've been wondering all about me, ever since I've seen I've seen you there. <laughs> You know, all of the love affairs seem to be about him going, who am I? Am I going to be able to be me with you? Are you going to be able to see me? And I would rather run than have the possibility of that not happening. And I'm not trying to analyse Bob Dylan as a man, right? I don't know. No, I'm just looking at the psychology of mm. the the songs themselves, mm, yeah. which are fascinating. And, and that's why they're like... That's why they, they're not poems, but that's why they have that same mysterious quality of poem. Like, you can't pin them to the wall. Like, you know, if you pin a butterfly to the wall, that's a dead butterfly. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't quite unravel them because they're so full of real human psychology and insecurities. And when we say the opposite of what we mean, mm -hmm. I've done a long speech. This is what happens. Good. This, is this is why you're here. here. Yeah, this is why you're here. <laughs> you know, just going back to the beginning yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, I mean, thank you. Please tame but, me. But, why, <laughs> but I'm interested in, of all the Bob Dylan songs, and you've just quoted another 
four. Yeah. But, but why ISIS? Like, is it about the I mean, artistic was... dilemma? Is that is that the main thing? Do you think? Yeah, because to begin with, when you listen to it, it feels totally mad, because it's this. Yeah. It's so long, and it doesn't really have a chorus. It just goes on and on and on and on and on, and it starts with this almost kind of. Um, I married, married Isis on the 5th day of May, but I could not hold on to her very long. That sounds quite like a traditional folk song beginning. Yeah. And then he goes, so I cut off my hair and I rode straight away <laughs> for the wild, unknown country where I could not go wrong. Yeah. And that idea of the, like that you can't go wrong if you go somewhere wild and unknown, mm. you know? Mm. There's something... Because most people think, don't go to the wild, unknown place. That's, that's not safe. Mm. But other people think I'm not. I'll be. I'll be safe there because I'm not going to risk having my heart broken, you know. And I keep coming back to Joni Mitchell as well because her song, when she's singing about her friend living with the hissing of the summer lawns, and she's got mm. a room full of Chippendales, mm. you know, and she's kind of decided just to live and die there mm. and that's Joni Mitchell's idea of absolute prison hell yeah yeah because yeah. it's not the the white lines of the freeway yeah, yeah. right but there's two prisons we're talking about here there's the prison that Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell sing about of having to be inside the wild unknown country mm. and always being led back to that and therefore always breaking your heart before it gets broken for you mm. you know mm. like I can't stay in here you know, I, I have to get out, yeah. you know. And, and so often, Bob Dylan's sexism, right, When to, to call it that, when, when you kind of look into it, you kind of go, you haven't stayed long enough to understand who this person is, yeah. right? Because you, you are singing about a kind of an illusion of a something. But then when he loses them, he gets, like, crazy, which, you know, often happens when people run away because they're... Like, my other favourite is the unfinished song, She's Your Lover Now. Yeah. You know that yeah. song? The ashtray, Be yeah. Yeah, because it reads like it reads like a monologue of someone who's going... Right, right. Also, just add to it, I love how often songs are addressed to, like, multiple people at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's like a bar scene where he's talking to one person and another person. You could read it as a, a, a bits of it, like a monologue. Like, the scene was so crazy, wasn't it? Both were so glad to watch me destroy what I had. Pain sure brings out the best in people, doesn't it? I mean, it's dripping in sarcasm, but there. But <laughs> why didn't you just leave me if you didn't want to stay? Why did you have to treat me so bad? Why, why did it have to be that way? Right now, you stand there expecting me to remember something you forgot to say. Yes, and you, you, I see you're still with her. Well, that's fine, because she's coming on so strange, can't you tell? Someone had, had better explain. She's got her iron chain. I, I'd do it, but I just can't remember how you talk to her. She's your lover now. I already assumed that we were in the felony room, but I ain't a judge. You don't have to be nice to me, but please tell that to your friend in the cowboy hat. <laughs> you know, he keeps on saying everything twice to me. You, you know I was straight with you. You know, I never tried to change you in any way. You know, if you didn't want to be with me, you didn't have to stay. Now you stand there saying you forgive and you forget. Honey, what can I say? And yes, you, 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 you just sit around and ask for ashtrays. Can't you reach? I see her kiss you on the cheek. 
every time she gives a speech with a picture books of the pyramid and a postcard of Billy the Kid, why must everyone bow? But you better talk to her about it. You're her lover now. Do you know what I mean? Whoa, like the yes. whole, it's the whole thing is so like fevered and totally not what he means and so full of pain. Mm. And he's going, I don't care about this bitch. Like that's why it sounds so sexist mm. because he's being he's pretending that she's awful and he's glad that she's gone. But also it's like if someone said to you, if you don't want to be with me, just go. Would that, would that make you feel secure? No. I mean, he seems to think all along, like, like saying to someone, you know, you can go back to him anytime you want to, like in that crawling, you know, cr please crawl out your window. Yeah. That's not going to make you feel good, is no. it? <laughs> like, so there's, what I love is how emotionally intelligent the songs are, and yet how, at the same time, he is constantly so naive about love. And that makes the songs really poignant to me, you know, and is in most love songs because, you know, most love songs are trying to lean out of the window of themselves or the window of your speaker or whatever and go, come on, our souls, surely we can find, you know, something. And, oh, OK, you don't want my soul. OK, bye. Mm. I think the you know? fact that you... Saying that Bob Dylan is naive about love, I've never heard that it put like that before. But I think that really sort of nails it in 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 one way. I mean, the th a thing that jumped out when we did the the trailer earlier, we recorded the trailer, and you sort of you you recited it for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for our trailer. And the bit you did it slightly differently when you did it in the trailer. And I thought just the slightly when you said you, the lines, she said, "Where you been?" I said, "No place special." When you did it for the trailer, yeah. it was both of them were sort of much more vulnerable with the same words. When you did it just now at the top of the thing, it was a bit more aggressive. She said, "Where you been?" And uh, yeah. I said, "No place." It, it was, but it's the writing. It's the writing is so good. Yeah, it changes. It changes <laughs> with yeah. the slightest bit of, yeah. you know, you yeah. look, you look different can sound quite accusing, but it can also sound yeah. quite sympathetic mm -hmm. and. Well, I guess can sound surprised, or it can yeah. sound like, well, I guess, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. fuck off, mm -hmm. and yeah, and th and then the key line, you've been gone, that's only natural, and that one is, that one is the, to me the mind blower. Yeah. You've been gone, that's only natural. In a way, it's sort of like, well, you knew, chaos is a friend of mine, right? Mm -hmm. You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. knew I'm that guy. Yeah, reminds that, me of um, exactly. do, do you know that Hank Williams song, Why Don't You Love Me Like You Used to Do. Somebody's changed will let me give you a clue. Why don't you love me like you used to do? It's like, it's not my fucking fault. You know, I'm the man that you fell in love with. Yeah. The, the fact that he got married always completely just, especially, you know, the first time. I thought, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who? We still don't know anything really about Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I was always taken by, if we're talking about the subject of, of love and naivety, uh, of Nashville Skyline, I, I love as an album. Yeah. But uh, I threw it all away, for instance, as yeah. a song that he wrote in the middle of the great yeah. marriage love thing. It's so, it's, he's, seizing, he's seeing into the future. Yeah. A and yeah. I had rivers in the palm of my hands, and yeah. I threw it all away. Yeah. And then in Isis, which is only a couple of albums later, yeah. 
And he's, he never went back to it, did he? he never, I mean, I, outside of 75, 76, I don't think Isis was performed. And it's, it's very so. specific to that period. And, he's, yeah. and there's that live version where he says, this is a song about marriage. It's yes. called Isis. Yeah, it's think, a song about marriage. Yeah. This, is, this is about marriage? Yeah. Okay, I'm exactly. listening. <laughs> and, 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 and when I say naive about love, I, I do mean that as a kind of compliment in terms of writing a poem or writing a song because... For me, writing a poem is so much about unlearning. Like, if you go into a poem thinking, I know what I'm talking about, you're ruining it. It has to start from a place of wonder. And um, One of my favourite quotes is from Winslow Zimborska. She won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1996. She stood up to collect a prize and she said, I know nothing about poetry. She said, whatever inspiration is, it's born from a continuous I don't know. And that idea of not knowing, which is every time you fall in love, you go into that... Well, you do go into that wild, unknown country as well, but, but there's you know, someone else there and and you have to protect them. You can't just throw them in a hole and put a cover over them and then go like he does with that stranger, you know? And and it's there's something terrifying about that and there's an unlearning to it. And I think every time Bob Dylan, every love song that Bob Dylan writes... I hear it in a different way. Like, I can hear everything he's not saying. I mean, I think one of the purest ones in terms of honesty is if you see her say hello. And even in that, he says, and if she thinks that I've... She may, she may think that I've forgotten her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't tell her it isn't so. Mm -hmm. Right? So even that, it's like... I... And that, and that very, you know, subtly dark verse about it still gives me a, a chill. Mm. You know, the night I tried to make her stay. And you get this whole sense of the trauma of it, but he holds it so lightly. And I often compare, when I'm teaching poetry, I often compare it to a tuning fork where... I haven't got a tuning fork here, but imagine this is a tuning fork. We're on radio. I'm holding a tuning fork, <laughs> right? And, 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 you, and you ding it on the table, it goes ding like that but when you're writing about something significant often people have this instinct to kind of grip it they think i'm writing about the i'm writing about the love of my life right so i'm going to i'm going to kind of hold the tuning fork with both fists like that and and fill it full of incredibly emotional you know lines and and sincerity and if you do that you bang the tuning fork on the table nothing happens and there's this counterintuitive thing where you have to hold the pain lightly in order for it to really resonate. And that's what Bob Dylan does with his songs about love, is he, you, you can tell underneath what he's not saying and what he's running away from and what maybe he really does feel. But he, he's not going to grip the tuning fork. No. He's going to hold it by the tip of the tuning fork. And that's why it doesn't die. That's why the song stays alive and that's why the lyrics stay alive. Because he hasn't said everything. And the unspoken around the song is just as loud as the music and the lyrics, you know? I totally agree with that. I, th I think one of the greatest things you can say in any position of authority, be it political, artistic, educational, whatever, is I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Let's find out together, but I'll throw some things into the mix and we'll see what's what. And I might change my mind in five minutes and that'll be fine too. Yeah. And that's because that's the only place where you can start to yeah. explore any kind of truth, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I, one of my favourite ways of writing a poem, and this is why I like Isis so much, is you fling open the door of the first line 
not knowing where you're going to go. You know, like Nancy found an entire torpedo in a forest, right? You don't know who Nancy is, don't know where, why you're in a forest, why is a torpedo in a forest, I don't know. Then you have to just stride out into the poem and kind of build the road as you're walking down it and discover it. And, and when you do that, your subconscious takes over. And often I feel that listening to Bob Dylan songs, he lets it roll on. Like, I remember when I first listened to Bob Dylan, when I was about, with my mom in the car on tape, maybe it was about eight, I think she played me Blowing in the Wind, I was like, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then she put on um, Tambourine Man. Mm-hmm. And to beginning, at the beginning, I thought, oh, no, I hate, I hate this too. And then it went on and on, right? And then I started to feel a bit funny. And you know there's that bit right towards the end where he just keeps going, like the verse elongates. It's like he gets disqualified from his own song. It just rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls. You know a bit like when a comedian tells a joke, but they keep going, mm. and then the laughter stops. The and then, and then they yeah. keep going. Yeah. And take me disappearing through the smoke rings of my mind, down the foggy ruins of time, Far past the frozen leaves, the haunted, frightened trees, out to the windy beach, far from the twisted reach of crazy sorrow. You'd think, okay, end there. No, no. Yes, to dance beneath the diamond sky with one hand waving free, silhouetted by the sea, circled by the circus sands with all memory and fate driven deep beneath the waves. Let me forget about today until tomorrow. Then I was like, okay, I like that. Yeah. Because... Because it gets disqualified, it goes past the point where it's trying to find a truth and it just, the form starts to fit the content, which is what I'm obsessed with in poetry, in the way that if you're going to write about trying, working really hard to to find an oblivion that's going to take you away, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to keep writing until you get there and it might take you forever. And there's that feeling in the song that it's going to take a lot, a lot of words mm-hmm. until I can forget. And even then I can't, <laughs> you know? There's something in it that just convinced me and it was in that, it was in that bit <laughs> which, you know, any good editor might have gone, maybe cut that bit, mm. but that's the bit. She does the same thing at the end of Visions of Johanna, I think. Yes. Where the verse goes on and on and on. And even yeah, the guitarist, yeah, yeah. In whoever it is, I think it might be Wayne Moss, I don't think it's Robbie Robertson in Nashville, plays the wrong chord. Because you think, oh, you're not. Say- There's another image. Oh, God, there's another line. Yeah. You know, that f- builds up to fish truck explodes, you know, yeah. fish truck implodes while my. Conscience explodes. Quote fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the same. It's pushing, 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 isn't pushing, it? Pushing, 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 exactly. And 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 I, I use the same kind of principle in, in, in a poem. Like, I often think that a poem has like a, a false epiphany. So you'll write it and you'll, you'll find a, what seems like a final line because it'll link back to the beginning. And it's kind of neat and it looks like it's said something dangerous and important. And you'll kind of go, but I knew this already. And then you push past. It doesn't mean you might end up actually cutting the whole first half. And the, but you push past the finish line. You go out over the forest, over the motorway, into the forest, maybe get eaten by a bear. But somewhere there's a quote from Thomas Transtromer where he says... In the middle of the forest, there is an unexpected clearing that can only be found by those who have gotten lost. 
And Bob Dylan is always doing that in his songs. He's trying to find that unexpected clearing that no one saw coming that somehow releases the rest of the song, you know? Or like that bit in uh, Senor Senor where suddenly he's stripped naked and he's in a magnetic field. Yeah. And you're like, you, you didn't expect that bit to that bit to come, but there's this this unexpected clearing. In, in the fact, middle of the there's forest. a meadow in Isis, isn't there? Which, yeah. which is there just for a second, because there's a meadow, but yeah. there's a river running through it. Yeah. But rivers don't run really through meadows. Yes. Yeah. And then it's gone. Yeah. And which reminds but I'm just going to mention, do a blatant plug for your uh, collection. Oh, thank you. Uh, Rookie, <laughs> um, which I've been which I've been reading uh, a collection of your first was it five books of poetry? six? Yeah, six. it's it's my selected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you have Nancy and the Torpedo in it, which you've just alluded yeah, to very yeah, briefly, yeah. which also which I I really love. Thank you. Uh, and it reminds me, I realize now, of, uh, somewhat of ISIS, because yeah, there, so. there's this couple they're going through. They're in a sort of a, 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 it's kind of a clearing in a forest and they yeah. find this torpedo. Yeah. And I love it because it, it, it does a lot of those things you just talked about. Plus, it's really sexy. Yeah. Which uh, Dylan is occasionally, but not, not sort of really, really sexy. Like that's a, that's a really sexy poem. <laughs> Thank and, you. you know, it's, it's very sensual. It's very, there's, there's, you know, there's yeah. allusions to explosions and orgasms yeah. and, and touching and slugs, you know, peeling <laughs> slugs off this torpedo. Sexy and, slugs. Yeah. It's, but I mean, it's, it's kind of gooey, you know. No, it's, it's... But, it, but, it, but it's true, like, like often when, when, when you start not knowing where you're going, and I'm not saying that becomes your final draft and then you just leave it at that, you know, but I'm talking about your first draft. If you start without knowing where you're going, often your subconscious will take over and it often will become about your, you know, deepest sexual insecurities or whatever is going on with you because your subconscious is not trying to protect you, you know. And But the important thing is to start with an image. If you start with, like, a, a statement about something you think, the poem, it, you can't go anywhere because mm. you have to be able to... It's, it's a bit like... It's a bit like flinging open a door, but then you have to invent what you see. And then you have to step into what you see, and then you have to look and see the next thing and step there. And it, and it's like this kind of... We do it every night when we dream. I mean, Bob Dylan sings a lot about dreams too, but what we often forget about dreaming is that we are both creating that dream simultaneously to experiencing it. We're walking through the room of the dream, seeing the, the throng of people. We've just made those people instantly. And we forget when we're writing that we have this ability to, to knit from the nothingness, to knit cinematography in our minds. And part of writing is about trying to find a way to, to dream while we're awake, especially when we're writing first drafts, how to find a way to access our own... You know, we're all poets when we're asleep. We can do it. We can make worlds where rivers run through meadows inexplicably, you know, and and you get married and then suddenly you're, you know, digging up a, a, a body in the canyon. Like, that's that's like a dream, you know, um, and and we can make make that up, but but there's something what's so what's so invigorating about Bob Dylan is every time you listen to him, you think, well, not every song, because you know, not every Bob Dylan song I love. <laughs> Some of them are like what, you know, but I love so many of them, and every time I listen to him, it 
reminds me that it's possible. It's possible to get disqualified from it. It's possible to knit from that nothingness and to and to start one place and end somewhere totally different. And it's also possible to not be a good person in your writing. You don't have to show this really moral version of yourself that did all the right things in the relationship or wasn't the bad one in the relationship or didn't say the wrong thing. You can show yourself to be a bit of a bastard as well mm. and that's that's what's so interesting about the, the songs because he doesn't present himself as the good guy often he's the cross one in the corner of the room going you're all idiots i hate you all you know and i'm not going to pass you an ashtray can't mm. you reach <laughs> a lot of these i think tell me what you think about this verging on dramatic and theatrical yeah. conceits yeah. You know, the, the complexity of human emotion, yeah. the junking out of the notion of hero and villain, the, the thing that you talk about in poetry yeah. where it's all about that moment where you're at the top and it can fall either way. I mean, and obviously you come from a from a fairly sort of dramatic background. Yeah. I mean, do you think that sort of fed into it a lot? Yeah, I, I do love... I love dialogue in poems. I love prose poems. I love the mixture. I like kind of cinematic poetry. I'm very kind of image-based but that's because, to come back to the dreams thing, like, when we dream, even though we are translating our feelings into images, we don't dream that the sky was full of anxiety, do we? We dream that the sky was full of these, you know, strange birds with baguettes for noses and googly eyes or whatever. Like, we translate our emotions into imagery every night in order to keep ourselves sane. Mm. And that's that's what poetry is. It's, it's translating feelings into imagery. So sometimes when I'm editing or I've met mentoring, you know, someone will put like a really like emotional line, basically explaining the image. And I'll say, well, you, you don't need that line because the, the image is the emotion. Mm. And that's that's what Bob Dylan does so beautifully. The image is the emotion. The idea of you get married and then suddenly you are down a hole digging up a casket with a stranger for a body that isn't even there. The image of that, and then riding back to your wife, and you can't even tell her why you've done that. I want to quote you back at yourself at this point when you said the metaphor doesn't know it's a metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I love that. I love that yeah. idea that your job is not to interpret these feelings that come, you know, yeah. like a waterfall through your head. Yeah. You just put them down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. You, you put them down, like, like you, you wake up, like, so... You know, when you have a dream, you wake up from it, you might scratch your head and go, well, maybe that meant that, maybe that meant that. But it's not paraphrasable. And that's what's so, that's what keeps something alive. And Bob Dylan's songs, even though we're kind of interpreting them, they're not paraphrasable, right? You can't, you can't say, ah, yeah, the ghost of electricity was howling in the bones of her face. You know, well, clearly she was plugged into the wall. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it it yeah. doesn't... And also, when you're actually writing the poem, if it spoils it, right? So if you if you sat down and wrote a poem like Isis and went, OK, I'm going to write about marriage, I'm going to write how I ran away, and then I, you know, went and did this and I came back, and it, it wouldn't work because it wouldn't contain that, that same... The poet has to know less than the poem, often. When you're writing the poem... Your job is just to follow the image and not know 
why necessarily you're doing it, just like when you're dreaming. Afterwards, you can wake up from it and go, oh, well, that's clearly about that. But if you keep jumping out of it to interpret it as you're writing it, you kind of kill it. And also you steer it. Because what happens is you start going, oh, this is getting a bit negative about my mother. Oh, and I don't want I don't want this to be a poem about that people will make me think I hate my mom or something. And so then you then you start kind of steering the dream, you know, or or you get out a map or you start going, where's this going? This doesn't make any sense. And then you then you kind of ruin it. Mm. So you, you kind of yeah, you have to believe that whatever you're writing is real. You're really in that canyon, you know, you're really on that horse. You're really in that forest. The torpedo is not a metaphor. It's just a real torpedo. And then afterwards, you can deal with the consequences once you've written it. Do you remember when you, you know? first came to that conclusion? Were you 8, 14? When, when, because that's a, that's a bold and absolutely accurate artistic statement and realisation. Do you remember when that first hit you? Not really, but looking through Rookie, where obviously I had to go through all of my collections, and, you know, my first one came out when I was 15, you know, and some of them are very embarrassing, but, you know, a few of them... Were, someone described them as sufficiently good to be included. So I was oh, like, I'll, yeah. do, I'll, take, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it, right? Not really, because there were poems about eating people's houses, there were poems about turning up at people's doors and then and my my chest was bleeding for some reason and I had a letter and then I knocked on the door and then I answered the door you know and I wrote that when I was like 13 and you know I'd never had a relationship at that point so there was no real door that I was walking to I didn't know what was going to happen when I got there so I mean I think I've got better at it and I did go through different stages of of sometimes trying to really control my metaphor and the poem was a lot deader because of it mm. you know it's never linear like sometimes like you're better like 10 years ago and then you try to get good and then you get worse and then you have to throw everything away and start again it's in the same way well that happened to Dylan didn't it you know finally where he lost complete touch with his yeah. His words, and he couldn't sing his own songs, according to him. Yeah. He, yeah. he didn't know what the hell he was singing about. Yeah. Uh, and then also, bizarrely, and this is a real kind of horrible curse, sometimes when you start to know yourself better, it's harder to write, because mm. there's something <laughs> there's something about denial and running away mm. that does really help with writing and um and this this whole theme of like staying and leaving and art and like Anne Carson has this whole book about eros where she talks about desire being like the distance not the people it's like the distance between the people uh, she has this phrase of my want of you partakes of me right but that thing that is partook is that a word i don't know mm -hmm. but <laughs> you know can often turn into a poem and it is it is much easier, maybe, to write a song when you're on your pirate ship or imaginary pirate ship thinking about the woman who put the gave you the forget-me-nots, right? Or when you're in the canyon. Much easier to miss her and think about her and everything than it is to write about her 
when you are next to her and trying to understand her. But what I guess what that shows is it's actually really hard to write about anyone that isn't yourself, right? So so even though these people who are running away um, thinking they're writing these Eros poems about their desire, they're not. They're like, uh, I've been thinking all about me mm. ever since I saw you there. It's that kind of, that Eros is a, it's like a, like a desire for another side of yourself that maybe you could see in this other person. And that is quite easy to create love poems from that feeling. And at the moment, I'm really in love. I'm about to get married. I'm quite happy, right? And it is harder to write poems, right? Because there is less distance. There's less turmoil. I don't want to run away and dig up a dead body in a canyon. (laughs) (laughs) Always a good thing. You know, Um, and the poems come out slower because you're not constantly, they're not constantly being troubled into being. And there's so much, so many Bob Dylan songs that feel just so beautifully troubled into being. And you also get the sense that, all right, well, I've lain in this bed long enough my trouble is starting to calm down now, so I better get back on the road. There's a lot of that feeling in Bob Dylan's songs, isn't there? You know, you've just kind of wasted my precious time, mm-hmm. which often feels like an insult to the woman. But sometimes you think, what do you mean? Do you mean do you mean you just haven't got anything done apart from like, you know, making breakfast? Mm. What do you mean? But you know, to me, I think some of his really greatest uh, poems are the the simple love poems because Mm. one of my favorite Bob Dylan songs is just to be alone with you. And when you think of what it took to, to get him into that place where he's actually there. Yeah. 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 Present. Yeah. To be alone with you at the close of the day with only you in view while evening slips away. Yeah. You know, I'll always thank the Lord Though my pleasures be few, the only one I the only one I know is to be alone with you. What did that take? You know, also, yeah. what did that take? This is the guy who, a couple of years later, he was digging up bodies and yeah, yeah. you know, but to to actually be still, he's kind of still. Yeah. And 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 that and and I think it's a beautiful use of language. I mean, every every word rings true. You know. Yeah. Um. And and I, that's that's a real that's as big a feat to me as Mr. Tambourine Man. Oh, completely. And and I, I totally agree with you because there's this thing about averted eyes, right? And most of the time, I mean, at least for me, when I'm writing, my eyes get kind of averted and then occasionally I'll be able to do a plain line where I'll look the reader in the eye and I'll say... Because writing about pain is a bit like dancing on hot sand. Like, you can't stay still. So the more in pain I am, the more kind of jaunty and all over the place or the more travels I have, whatever. Mm. But then those moments, and there are those moments when suddenly you do feel something quite clearly and it comes out simply, or often the hardest of all. And they might be written in 15 minutes or 10 minutes, but they haven't been. They've been written over 20 years of finally, for a moment, just being able to get to that place of stillness where you can you can look the reader or the listener in the eye in the ear whatever mm. <laughs> and say the thing you know and um 
but then often with the next one it hurts starts to hurt again mm -hmm. and you have to avert your eyes you have to dance on the hot sand it, it's not it's not a permanent thing but what's what is so beautiful and miraculous about songs is they remain they remain long past whoever they were written about has been left or has left themselves and they become about somebody else and that moment of stillness is still true it exists in time mm. and there's something you know there's something incredibly consoling about that isn't there mm. you know I mean, just to go back just to your journey, uh, your Bob Dylan journey, mm -hmm. I'm sure this will be another um, jumping off point. But after you heard Mr. Tambourine Man, mm -hmm. did you go back and uh, did you ask your mum to, you know, play you the album or uh, what was your next step? No, so they had an old record player, but it was just that time, you know, where parents were like, ooh, we'll upgrade to this slightly <laughs> more high tech thing. You know, which was still like massive, mm. and so they they let me borrow mm. their old record player, which I then never let them have back. <laughs> yeah. And the the records I had, I had Street Legal, I had Blonde on Blonde, I had Bringing It All Back Home. But the one I listened to the most, uh, the, so I had those three. But the one I listened to the most was Street Legal, because I just loved that song. Senor. I know it's not like the best album of those three, but it felt like the most adult one somehow. Like I was being mm -hmm. told stuff that I wasn't supposed to know or... I don't know. I used to listen to that on repeat. I also had Billie Holiday's Lady in Satin, which was, you know, her last album. And I listened to that over and over again. I was quite a melancholy teenager. And I had Leonard Cohen's first album yeah. was that just called Leonard Cohen was Songs it? of Leonard Cohen Songs, Songs yeah. Of, yeah and yeah. I used to listen to Suzanne over and over again as well which is a similar type thing isn't it of mm. it's a song about a woman but it's not it's a song about a man it's a song about a man a myth mm. you know and they always it always just used to make me feel so funny but not in a bad way but I would I would sit cross-legged in my room and listen to these albums and feel like there was this whole adult world that I knew about and no one was telling me about, but the songs would tell me about it, right? I could read Howl by Allen Ginsberg, but no one would let me watch Trainspotting. And part of my path into poetry and listening to music was kind of going, well, if, if you guys aren't going to tell me, these guys will, and they'll mm. tell me better. And I, I, I kind of relished that... It's not exactly a warmth, it's like a, it, you, you know, you kind of get filled up with sadness, but in a way that makes you feel full and meaningful. Yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. kind of consoling. Um, well, this is the same logic, I think, that, that I mean, I don't know if you heard it, but, um, last year, Laura Barton did some radio programmes about why, about sad songs. Yeah. And she was talking about why we, why we like sad music. And it was more to do with this kind of collective emotional landscape, whereby we hear other people being sad and it, makes us realise we're human and that other people have felt those same experiences and we have like a portal to that emotional landscape and I thought right yes I've my whole life I wanted someone to articulate that for me that is exactly it you know yeah. I don't, and when people say oh why are you listen to this depressing music no that's not what it's about it's about 
having a, a access to another world, an adult world, a, an emotional world, isn't it? Exactly. And it's also, you know, you feel consoled because someone has said it. And you feel consoled because it's like a, a psychic phone call yeah. into somebody else's interior mind. And you feel like they're not trying to, they're not pretending that they understand themselves. They're saying, I understand myself as little as you do, mm. but this is kind of how it feels for me. Do you, do you know what that reminds me of? What you were just spoke, talking about was uh, Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie, the the only poem that Dylan has ever recorded out loud. I don't know if you've... I haven't. You, you clearly I haven't. haven't heard it. It's on... Uh, what's the first bootleg series? It's on the first boot, bootleg yeah. one to three. volumes one to three. And oh, I know you'd love mm. it. Okay. Uh, it's about a... It runs about, I don't know, ten minutes ten, or something. Seven, so, yeah. And yeah. It's, it is a poem... Yeah, and he's he says he's he's in the middle of a concert at Carnegie Hall, and he says uh, I was asked to write a poem about Woody Guthrie, uh, but they said you have to do it in like six to ten lines, and he said I couldn't do that, so I did write a poem, and I happen to have it here. Now I, we don't know if he um, you know planned to bring it or whatever, but he he reads this poem. I had the occasion where I could read it in public uh, once, and. It's really difficult to read because the breath control is... I, I mean, I rehearsed it a lot yeah. in order to just be able to read it out loud. But the reason I mention it is because you guys were talking and there's a line in it where he says, um, Good God Almighty, that stuff's not real. Mm. Now, this is in 1963. Three. And he's talking about the stuff, basically the stuff that your parents don't want to talk about. Yeah. And he's talking about the whole world being just based on lies and lies and lies, lies about the lies and lies about the lies. And at the end of the, the whole poem about, you know, where do you find truth when you know it's all a lie? And yeah. it comes right back down. He says, you can go to the Grand Canyon at sunset or you can go to Woody Guthrie, who's in the hospital in New Jersey. I choose Woody Guthrie. That's after this. Okay, I'm going <laughs> it's, to it's fabulous. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. But that, yeah, that sense of... That sense of searching, it seems like you're searching for love, but then you fall in love and then you're like, but I'm still not me. Mm. Because actually there's something, there's something that he still hasn't, or, you know, who, whoever still hasn't filled. There's a hole that has in the chest that has not been filled. And then you keep on trying to go on a different quest mm. So many quests, like how many quests do we need? But yet yeah, that is also then what, I mean, every time you write a poem or, or, or a song, you are going on this quest, like by the end of this, maybe I'll have found it. But you don't. And, and, it's, that, and it's that inexhaustible dissatisfaction that keeps you writing. That sense that every time, like James Tate at the beginning of a poem where he says... Um, Take this. This is what I have earned. I have hands full of sand. I've earned this with my genius and because I love you. Take this. Hurry. I am dropping everything. Right? And that sense that we've got hands full of sand, but we're going, take this. Hurry. I'm dropping everything. You know, there's that feeling that I get in Bob Dylan songs also of like, I do have some wisdom and lots of it. So much that I sometimes I have to cram it all in, mm. you know. But it is kind of dropping th through my hands, and then you have to write write another one, you know. Mm. And that feels like poetry to me. 
because we're all trying to, uh, you know, Rambo talked about that soul to soul connection, but it's more like, yeah, we're trying to share our soul, but it is gonna, it is kind of made of sand and it's gonna, half of it is gonna drop on the floor before it gets to the other person. So you have to just keep writing the songs and going on the quests and, you know. Isn't in Visions of Johanna, it's uh, who's got the handful of rain? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the handful of rain. Yeah, Tempting the handful you to of... defy it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Louise. Exactly. Yeah. We, yes, we have a handful of rain and we can't, we can't defy it. We can't, we can't keep it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we can't share it, but we try. And that's, you know. I don't know where I'm going, by, but this is... But that's the know. whole point. You don't know where you're going. That's what you're saying. You're saying that you, <laughs> if, you if you arrive at a, at a destination, you're done. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah, yeah. it's about the journey. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll curse the one time <laughs> and then I'll ride on ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is It Rolling Bob Talking Dylan is recorded back home in Studio 3 at Lip Sync Studios. Engineered by Tom Stringer and produced by Robin Guys. Music is by Sam Hare. We're part of Pantheon Podcasts, the music podcast network. Find us on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. Why should you have to be so frantic? You always wanted to live in the past. Now, why you should be so Atlantic? You finally got your wish at last. You used to be oh so modest with your arm around your cigarette machine. Now you lost it all, I see. And all you got is your $2 bill and your hat full of gasoline.